since learning the truth about alcohol over four years ago, I've become pretty skeptical about anything that seems too good to be true. You know, like alcohol. If you're like me and you can spot a too good to be true health hack from a mile away, congrats, you're a skeptic too. Ritual knows that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds our standards. I take Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus every morning because it has high quality and traceable key ingredients in clean, bioavailable forms. It's gentle on an empty stomach and has a minty essence in every bottle that helps make taking my multis actually enjoyable. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com forward slash sober mom. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash sober mom for 25% off. All right, you guys, I am currently struggling with a pinched nerve in my neck. And if you have ever had one, you know the pain. So I am feeling super thankful for today's sponsor, Tanasi. Tanasi's CBD, CBDA is two times better than CBD alone and better than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. It helps soothe and relieve my aches and pains, like my pinched nerve, and it's great for sleep and anxiety, so I put it on right before bed. Tanasi was discovered by a team of chemists and biologists at Middle Tennessee State University, and 5% of all revenue is given back to the university partner for ongoing research. It is THC-free and comes in a range of products. I love the topicals, but you can also choose from soft gels, gummies, and tinctures. Satisfaction is guaranteed. Try Tanasi for 30 days, and if you don't love it, you get a full refund. Go to Tanasi.com and use code MOM to get 25% off at checkout. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with promo code MOM. Hi, welcome to the Sober Mom Life podcast. I'm your host, Suzanne of My Kind of Sweet and the Sober Mom Life on Instagram. If you are a mama who has questioned your relationship with alcohol at times, if you're wondering if maybe it's making motherhood harder, this is for you. I will be having candid, honest, funny conversations with other moms who have also thought, hmm, maybe motherhood is better without alcohol. Is it possible? We'll chat and we'll talk about all things sobriety and how we've found freedom in sobriety. I don't consider myself an alcoholic. You don't have to either. And maybe life is brighter without alcohol. I hope you will join us on this journey and I'm so excited to get started. Hello, welcome back to the Sober Mom Life Podcast. You came back. I'm so grateful. I hope you had a good weekend. I'm really excited about today's episode. We have Jolene Park, who is, I don't know if you guys have heard about gray area drinking. You might have heard it from her TEDx talk in 2017 that has almost 400,000 views. You know what this means? This means that people want to know what gray area drinking is. And she is here to tell us. She's a functional nutritionist. She talks about practical tips that can help us. She talks about our biochemistry. She talks about if our GABA is low, if our dopamine is low, if our serotonin is low. She talks about her nourish method. And if you haven't hit rock bottom, if the rock bottom story is not yours, if 
you haven't lost everything to alcohol, but you still want to look at your relationship with alcohol and what it is and what it's taken and everything that we talk about on this podcast, chances are you fall into the gray area drinking spectrum and that's okay. It just means we have to talk about it and we have to learn about it. And Jolene is an expert. I'm so glad she's here. I think this is probably one of the most important episodes we've shared because as you know, it's not about hitting rock bottom. You guys, we deserve, we deserve, damn it, a softer place to land. And that's exactly what we're providing you today. So I am so excited. Make sure if you like the content over here in this little corner of the podcast universe, um, you know, share the pod, share the love, and then also rate and review it. Give us five stars. Give me. It's just me. Well, it's my editor, too, who does a lot of heavy lifting. Thank you, Laura. Give us five stars and, you know, leave a little review. Also, if you are wanting more bonus content and if you want even more of the Sober Mom Life, come and join us on Patreon. Guess what? Exciting news. We are now offering a seven-day free trial of the $10 level. So at the $10 a month level, you get to try it for seven days free. You get access to our book club. You get access to our Discord chat. Moms like you are chatting all day long, every day. You get access to our meetings. You get the bonus episodes. You get to sign up to share your story on the Real Sober Mom chats on the podcast. You get it all. You guys, free trial. Go to patreon.com slash the sober mom life. It is all linked in the show notes. Come and follow me at my kind of suite. I am done talking. Let's get to the episode. Thanks. Jolene, thank you for being here. Of course, we're going to talk about all things gray area drinking. I want to talk about your TED Talk, which almost 400,000 people have watched, which is insane. But let's start with your story. And you do share some of it in the TED Talk. But what's when you talk about your drinking story, what is that? Well, you know, my drinking story doesn't make for the exciting alcohol memoir. Yeah. <laughs> And this is characteristic of, of many people who self-identify as gray area drinkers where, you know, the tagline is nothing bad happens. And that's my story. But what's interesting about it is that so many people actually identify with that. Totally. And I think those are the most important stories to tell because it's not this sensationalized rock bottom story, which... I didn't see myself in those stories. Like I, when a man loves a woman, Meg Ryan, like that wasn't me. And so we're taught like if that's not your story, then there's nothing to see. Keep it moving. No reason to question your drinking. And so when we hear stories like yours, I think they're the most important because it's like, wait, oh, wait, okay. My story sounds like hers. <laughs> right, right. What I didn't realize drinking, it never occurred to me. So I'm coming up on it'll be nine years, December 2023 that I haven't had a drink of alcohol. But 15 years ago, when I was drinking, it never occurred to me that other people, especially women would be having the same experience that I was having of waking up in the morning saying never again, but not saying that ever out loud to anyone. And so that that's what's interesting about it. And that's that's the gray area drinking story. And so, you know, my message and, and my 
my mission with this work is not to tell everyone to stop drinking because people, you know, get into the diagnostic, like, well, so, you know, is this, where does this fall? And we can talk about that, that whole spectrum. Yeah. What it is, is it's the invitation for those listening who have, who never realized, like I would have loved to have heard this conversation 15 years ago of two women, moms, professional, and nothing bad happened, but there's been this ongoing internal struggle for years of, around alcohol, this dance around alcohol. And, and that's where I want to give voice of if that's you, you know, I'm not saying everyone needs to stop drinking, but those who are drinking and silently struggling, there's a place at the table for you. This conversation's happening and it's the gray area between end stage rock bottom where, you know, the Hollywood movies, the traditional alcohol memoirs over the years, and, and then that other space of just every now and again drinking. And the truth is, is that most people drink in between those two spaces, and that's gray area drinking. Yes, I'm so glad you said that, too, because it, it also points to this idea of a normal drinker, right? And like we're chasing this like, I mean, I'm saying that in quotes, you guys, if you've listened to this podcast for more than five minutes, you know, I'm saying this in quotes, because I call bullshit on the whole normal drinker thing, because on the outside, you probably looked like a quote unquote, normal drinker, people would assume like, oh, okay, she's got it figured out something's wrong with me, that I have this internal struggle. And then that internal struggle when we don't talk about it, when we're taught that if we talk about it, then that means straight to AA, like, nope, okay, you obviously have a problem for life and like you're, you got to go to AA. And so we don't talk about it. Then we're just alone in our minds in that shame spiral and that is soul crushing. And so this idea of talking about like, no, let's just talk about our relationship with alcohol wherever you fall on the spectrum. Like, let's not put blinders on. Let's actually talk about it. Yeah. And that's gray area drinking. And and some people will, you know, there's different labels and names that people will self-identify with. And some people can be on that gray area spectrum and they will I have been identifying as a social drinker or a normal drinker or a moderate drinker, an addicted drinker and, you know, alcohol use disorder or no name that they just, they drink like everyone around them drinks. So it doesn't matter the name or the label, but we do know that there is no safe, healthy recommended intake level of alcohol. Again, that's not saying everyone needs to stop drinking or it's this diagnostic of like pointing the finger of you have a problem, you don't have a problem. It's the internal, you know, if there's a struggle, just know that there's no safe intake of alcohol. For women, once it's seven or more drinks in a, in a seven-day period, that's heavy, risky drinking. It doesn't take much at all, which I had no idea when I was drinking. Totally. And then that also points to this idea that I always try to talk about that it's like, no, it's it's not whether you have a problem or don't have a problem. It's that alcohol is a problem. No one would look at cigarettes and say like, well, I smoke, but I don't have a problem with cigarettes. It's like very clear to us that cigarettes are the problem because they're highly addictive and very harmful and poison. And so alcohol is the same thing, but we've been taught that if we can't handle it, we have a problem. And I'm like, no, 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 you guys, you are never the problem with this. When alcohol is in the mix, alcohol is the problem. 
<laughs> totally. Yeah. And that's the language I use that it's, I'll say to clients all the time, there's no doubt in my mind that alcohol is a problem for you. I'm not saying you're a problem or you have a problem with alcohol, but that's the language. It's the semantics. There's no doubt alcohol is a problem. And, you know, no surprise. It's the most addictive drug on the planet. <laughs> so trying yeah. to put something in our body that's highly addictive and then not have a quote problem there are people, there are people who drink and it just, and they're not getting intoxicated. They're, they're not using alcohol to go into an event because emotions happen this afternoon. You know, they're not using it for events yeah. or emotions. There's truly are people who do that, but there are a lot yeah. of people who drink and it's, you know, for them, how alcohol, what's happening in their body and the results two hours after drinking six hours, 12 hours, Alcohol is a problem when it enters their body. And it's not that they're weak-willed yeah. or, or any of that. It's chemically, and then that's my work, is the physiology of that chemical reaction, what happens in the body, which is really fascinating when we drink alcohol. I love that you talk about that because that is something that I don't know anything about. My brain does not work. It, my brain knows no science or facts. And so I love when I have people like you on that I'm like, okay, so tell me these facts because are you a functional nutritionist? Is that the right? Right. Okay. And so you actually know all of these neurotransmitters. And I love in your TED Talk that you talk about how alcohol affects that. And you even break it down. So between like GABA, serotonin, and dopamine, and depending on how you drink, that says a lot about your neurotransmitters and what needs to be regulated or boosted, right? Exactly. So functional nutrition is looking at the functional mechanism of nutrients in the body. So we don't necessarily look at, you know, calories, but at, at numbers, we look at the function. So like I could eat a turkey avocado sandwich that has 120 calories, or I could eat a donut that has 120 calories. That 120, my body doesn't do anything with, with an actual number of 120. But the ingredients that are in the donut and in that turkey avocado sandwich, it actually does something with it functionally with those ingredients. So that's what we're looking at. So when we drink alcohol, there's the, these functional things that start happening immediately as the alcohol goes into the stomach, goes into the bloodstream, immediately into the brain, does numerous things physiologically. But one of the first things is it interacts with our brain chemicals and it gives this false positive feeling of a dopamine boost, a GABA boost, a serotonin mm. boost, which is why we drink the initial effect. The first 10, 20 minutes is good. It's positive. It's relaxing. Our, our mind chatter starts to slow down. Our muscles unclench and relax a little bit. So it's, it's a positive effect. And those are feelings when we have the, those natural optimal levels of neurochemicals, brain chemicals moving through our bloodstream and our system. But what's happening actually is it's actually very quickly depleting the natural brain chemicals, the neurochemicals. So we've think we're getting that boost, but then they're actually being more depleted. Then when the alcohol starts to wear off, our brain chemicals are even lower. And then we want more of that hit again, and it becomes this vicious cycle. So it's physiology, not psychology. It's not a mental thing. It's like a diabetic yes. when their blood sugar goes high or low. Sure. You know, the diabetic can do some affirmations and journaling and, and their thoughts. It's not going to hurt. 
but it's also not what's going to move the insulin. What's going to move the insulin and what's going to move those neurochemicals is something physical because they are physical. So the alcohol has seemingly, it's physical, so it's seemingly been moving it. So now we want to do something that's actually physical that's going to move it. And we can do that with nutrients. We can do it with actual movement, moving our body, with different stress reduction practices for the nervous system. I work a lot with the polyvagal nerve. And so that it's all physiology that we want to bring back to optimal balance because the alcohol, I mean, first, you know, we're probably starting off with a bit of depleted balance because of just modern life and sleep deprivation and stress. So that depletes brain chemicals. So we're already starting, you know, at kind of a low, we're not at baseline. And then alcohol brings it even lower. So then we need to go in and physically bring things up to baseline. Otherwise, it's kind of that white knuckle thing. Yes. And then you feel deprived, right? And it's like, I always talk about my sobriety does not feel it's not deprivation. It's not willpower. And I think before people, I call it filling in the gaps. And so before you find ways to cope that is actually going to help and not just, yeah, not just this like meditation and journal stuff. Because I mean, I can meditate for like five minutes and then I'm like, okay, (laughs) I'm done. I need something else. But until you find these things that actually help you cope and actually help your brain chemistry, it is going to feel like deprivation because alcohol was helping in that short term, right? But I like that you say that it is physical because that 3 a.m. wake up, right? Like everyone knows that 3 a.m. wake up after drinking too much. And when you're in that just like shit, like anxiety, that spiral, that shame spiral, that's physical, right? Like what alcohol is doing to your body. Totally. It's all physical. And and that's where it doesn't make sense what we've been doing because it's physical to start with. There, people will say, I have social anxiety or I need to kind of, you know, that liquid um, courage to go into a social situation or whatever that is. Uh, people will say that outright. So it's physical, like it's that physical sensation in the body. They drink, you know, alcohol is physical and then there's physical effects. There's that immediate, it's a drug. So as a drug, it relaxes the muscles. And then what you're talking about is more of the hangover. It's all physical. So then to go in and try to remedy the physical with something mental, it doesn't even make sense. That's the neurobiology. The neurobiology is it's the body first, not even you know just alcohol, just the neurobiology science of current modern day. 80% of the mechanism is in the body and 20% in the mind. So, we, so wow. it, you know, I'm not saying don't journal and don't meditate. There's going to be a little. Yeah, yeah. And it's, but it's just got to be more. You have to, you have to right. do more. We've, you've got to get the foundation in, which is, which is working with the body and working with the cortisol and the blood sugar and naturally doing some things to boost the neurochemicals and slow down the stress response. So that fight, flight, collapse response, that's physiological. Things are happening physiologically. Our pupils dilate, our, our heart starts to race a bit. You know, there's kind of that freeze response, like our muscles tighten. So we have to then work with, we have to unwind that physiologically. And so just like there's been the missing piece of the gray area that we've turned a blind eye to, there's been this missing piece of turning a blind eye to the physiology. And the research is there. So I, you know, I just follow the research. I've been in functional medicine, functional nutrition for over 20 years. But there was in the 90s, there was an addiction treatment center founded by a woman who has her PhD in nutrition. 
under this model. So when addicts, alcoholics came into an inpatient treatment, she said, we're, we're missing the boat here by starting with group therapy. And again, I'm not against that. I mean, it, we want to do this comprehensive piece. You, you know, we've got to nourish all the people. Right. But she, start, she started with replenishing the minerals and the essential fatty acids and the amino acids. And it's just like when we have the flu, when we don't feel good physically, we, it's just hard to like do things emotionally, mentally. Once we get over that physical, feel better physically, then it's like, okay, now we can sit down and have a conversation and work through this strategy. And that's the same process with drinking. We've got to um, do some repair and replenishment with the body, which the body moves, but the me- needle moves quickly. Things can shift very quickly within three days, a week, depending, you know, depending in even a couple months. And then you've got the foundation to work on the emotional and the mental pieces. Yes, I love that idea. And it's the holistic approach, right? Even like when I've been in therapy and in couples therapy, one of and we had an amazing therapist. And, you know, one of his questions was always, you know, when I got ramped up when I was getting, you know, when we were arguing, he was like, stop where do you feel this in your body? Your body's telling you something. And so it's the whole, our body keeps the score, right? Once we kind of learn our body's language, then we can know like, oh, okay, this is what I need. But that takes a while too. Yeah, we haven't, we haven't been taught. We haven't been modeled. Um, we're very good at like the self, kind of the conceptualizing of the story, the logic, the analyzing, the, you know, so when you ask someone, how do they feel? Generally, it goes into the mental story, but how we feel is sad, joyful. And, and that's that embodied experience of stopping and noticing what's happening in my body right now, which we haven't been taught. So we're very good at conceptualizing, which we need. We need to, uh, you know, logically, analytically, like that's important. But it's also important to understand how to have that embodied awareness and experience, because that's what slows down that mental process connects us more with our intuition. We're able to respond, not react when we're embodied. We want both. Yeah, we want both. I love that you break down in the TED Talk. So the neurotransmitters, GABA, serotonin, and dopamine, depending on why you say, like, if you drink to have fun, that's a clue that your serotonin is low right? How do you break that down? Well, serotonin is the, and this is just very general. We can get into deep biochemistry, but, but in general, serotonin is the happiness chemical. So if serotonin's low, in general, we're going to feel more lethargic, more blue, a bit depressed. So when people take an antidepressant, it's boosting serotonin. And then GABA is the relaxation neurotransmitter. When we have adequate GABA, we're more relaxed. Our anxiety is more in check. The analogy I use that if our GABA is low, it can feel in our body. If you imagine being in a a semi-truck, I'm from Colorado. So if we're in like a big 18-wheeler semi-truck going down the mountain with no brakes, that feeling of what it would feel like to be in that truck, just that clean out of control sensation. It's that anxious that can go into a panic. That's a bodily sensation of low GABA. When GABA is in check, then we don't have kind of that anxious, anxious feeling. And then dopamine is just more about, you know, connection. So if we're in motivation, like we're motivated to connect with others and be part of a team and, and socialize and 
versus like, oh, I just, I don't want to get off the couch. I don't, I'm really kind of procrastinating. And so again, these are just generalizations, but what we crave is always really interesting messages of, you know, people, we, we have kind of that shame or we want to suppress, you know, what we're craving. It's like, no, no, no. I want to hear what you're craving because it tells me biochemically what's happening. That's the key. That's the key. Because why do some people more drawn to cigarettes, tobacco, or cocaine, or alcohol, or sugar? And it's not, again, it's not a mental weakness. It's a, oh, that's interesting of what potentially might be depleted here. And your body's just giving us a message. It's just trying to refill and replenish. And that's why we're drawn to certain things. So alcohol is known as a dirty drug. It wipes out all the neurotransmitters. A dirty drug. Oh, wow. Okay. Where cocaine, coffee's much more. People are really trying to boost dopamine. You know, marijuana, definitely like GABA. And then tobacco, I don't go into another, there's other neurotransmitters. So I just touch on those three, but another one is called acetyl-L-choline. And acetyl-L-choline, if that's low, then people generally are drawn to tobacco, cigarettes, that type of thing. Okay. If sugar is a real thing, but not alcohol, often serotonin, also GABA, trying to just slow the system down, bring some sweetness where we don't feel like there's sweetness in life and looking at cravings and starting to understand that physiology, that's where it gets really fun and and interesting. And it takes it away from like, oh, I'm doing something wrong and I'm not, you know, I don't have the willpower like everyone else. And then it also really sets us up for, okay, now that we know that, we have lots of options of how to start replenishing that and bringing, bringing levels back up to, you know, baseline. And we can actually measure it and watch. I mean, this isn't just a subjective thing. We can we can see where numbers are to start and then do some different practices, do some different nutrients and watch as numbers and things start balancing out in the physiology. Oh, wow. And so that's what you do in your practice. You would measure somebody's neurotransmitters. Is that what you do? So I use a quiz with a doctor I was trained under in the quiz that's like yes, no questions. So I have road rage or I have insomnia, true, false. You can medically do a urine test. The urine test will then, you know, show how much you're deficient in, like whatever comes up the highest. So like if GABA comes up the highest in the urine test, that's what the body is dumping the highest amount of. So then in theory, that's what we're most deficient in. And they find with that urine test next to the quiz that they, they correlate, they match up. Wow. And I do send people to functional medicine docs. I don't run lab tests, but if people want to run lab tests, they can. But generally, the quiz is, is pretty accurate. And we also just kind of know from, from symptoms. People, if they're generally more depressed or more anxious or more, I mean, it's, it's not rocket science of where things are falling. But, but I do um, absolutely refer people as they're coaching with me to a medical doctor just to run labs, not even neurotransmitters, just to rule out things like B12 and iron and thyroid. We just want to know that, you know, where things are, because those can also make us feel low energy and more depressed if, if those are low. Um, and I will refer people also to to do some somatic, you know, trauma therapy, depending on the client. It's amazing just how much is going on in our bodies that we have no idea about in our brains. We're just like, no, we're good. Nothing to see. Like, there's just something wrong with me. It's a weakness in me. And it's like, no, this is actual science stuff that we could figure out and help. There are things to do. 
And speaking of, I like in your talk too, you give like practical tips on how to regulate our brains and boost the neurotransmitters. And you have the acronym NOURISH. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. And this is what I was just going to say too on the back end, you know, of you were saying, oh, you know, there's all these things to do. And normally at this point, people listening can start to get a little overwhelmed or want to kind of do all the things. So it's not about taking 25 different supplements. It really is going back to the basics and we can subjectively and objectively measure this and see how the needle moves. So objectively, we can we can draw blood and see things like B12 move, you know, so it's not just a subjective kind of we're just throwing spaghetti against the wall. But then there, there is that subjective piece, which is the somatic piece. And this is where I work with clients so much on is, this is Bessel van der Kolk's famous phrase of notice, notice what happens next. So when you take magnesium, or when you go outside into nature, and my acronym is nourish, so notice nature, observe your breath, unite with others, initiate movement, sit in stillness, and harness creativity. And so what I've found over the years of just looking at the data and all different theories, and you know, there's different schools of thought on this, but there's many roads that whatever we're talking about often come back to these points of nature, breath, good nutrients, movement, some stillness, like not always having that busy, crazy schedule, and, and some creativity uh, and, you know, a, a fun outlet. So it's that comprehensive piece of working with the emotions, the relationships, the nutrition, the movement. And I put that into Nourish. And then what's fun about this is it really is the basics because we see that needle move objectively when we measure it and subjectively when we ask the question of notice what happens. You know, clients will come in and they'll say, I do yoga and I meditate and I journal. And I'm like, that's great. Is it working? And they're like, what do you mean is it working? Like, it's just, I'm supposed to do it. I heard I should do it. And my work with individuals is like, nope, it's not about what you should do or think you have to. It's not adding to the to-do list. Because when something somatically matches and it's moving biochemically, the way that I know that in conversation is people light up. They're like, oh my gosh, I've been doing this Koya dance, this, this ecstatic dance. And I mean, I just, it's like how they describe it. You can see in their face and it's like, okay, bingo, that's, and somebody else may hate dance. So it's not a formula. It's not that everyone who quits drinking needs to go dance. Right. What is it that lights you up? And the only Mm -hmm. way to know that, because we've been drinking and moving so quickly, often we don't know. And so then it's experiential. So it's going back to that embodied kind of experience. So we have to give our body the opportunity to experience these different things. And then it's either like, oh my gosh, I want to do that again. Or I'm kind of neutral. Like, I don't know if I liked it or not, or I hated that. Right. And then we just start to follow those threads and repeat the things that are really lighting people up. And we don't, you know, that's where it can get really intricate about the physiology and what's happening. I don't need to know that. The client doesn't need to know that. What we need to know is they're loving it. They want to do it again. And they feel a change in their state. Because when we drink, we feel a change in our state. And so that's that's the work of actually doing things, not always talking about it, thinking about it, reading about it, listening to another podcast. I love that everyone's listening to this conversation. Yeah, but yeah. where I want to inspire is to actually try something and then notice what happens next. 
And like, how amazing is that, right? When alcohol's in the picture, generally that's the focus. Generally, we don't even know if we're having fun. We're don't, it's dulling everything, it's making everything blah which we don't realize till we take it away, but then that you get to try things. You get to be a kid again and be like, I don't know. Do I like rollerblading? Let's try it. Okay, I'm going to fall. Maybe. Okay, let me try it again. Let me try dance. Let me try gardening. Let me try running. Like You get to try all of these things. And so it could feel overwhelming at first where it's the absence of alcohol and holy shit, what am I going to do? And it's like, now you get up and try like a kid. It's like very childlike. Totally. And that's the energy that that I bring in with, with my coaching of let's just get curious together. And I'm not attached to anything, whether it's spiritual or nutrition or emotion. I certainly have my things and, and I, you know, I'm open about them and we'll share them online. But it's by no means, it's not about me at all, this work. It's about my client's nervous system. And noticing with nutrition, with emotions, with the spiritual piece, with the community. Uh, And that's going back to what we were talking about, that embodied piece, the 80% that's in the body. And Mm -hmm. then we're able to respond, not react. Our intuition becomes more clear. We're able to slow down. And that's that turning up the dial on the embodied experience. Because grayer drinkers are great at conceptualizing. We know how to intellectualize. We are lifelong learners. We want to read it and hear it and get all, you know, know all the stuff. But we're in our head. We're not in our body. And me included. Like, it's not like I sit here, like, I've arrived and figured all this out. I'm I'm always in process with it. I mean, I'm always, I teach what I most need to learn. And, you know, I've learned these pieces. And I'm like, this is so cool. This has been so helpful. I want to share with others. But I'm always in process myself with it. Oh, always. As my mom says, as the therapist said, it's our life's work, right? To figure out what we need and this life-giving stuff, especially when you take alcohol away. And it's like, it is such an exciting time. I mean, I think that so much about my sobriety is about perspective too, where I just didn't go into it saying like, oh, okay, I can't drink anymore. You know, I can't do this anymore. I'm like, okay, let's see. Let's see what I actually like doing, who I like to hang out with, what's going to fill in these gaps. And so then the trick is that it doesn't take willpower because willpower runs out, right? Like not drinking doesn't take willpower for me. Absolutely. So what I knew going into it, I learned about neurotransmitters in 2006. I quit drinking in 2014. So right there, intellectually, I had the information. We can know things. And clients will say this. I know all this. Why can't I stick with it? It's not about knowing it. It's not about intellectualizing it. It's about actually doing it. And so when I got to 2014, I'd had enough Groundhog Days of stopping and restarting. And I was like, I don't need to be so all or nothing. Like, I don't need to quit forever. So I'd go back to drinking, same, I, you know, go right back on the same. I don't want to keep doing this. I was 43 years old just looking down the trajectory. I'm like, for the next decade, like going into my 40s, 50s, like this is just a train bound to nowhere. Like the trajectory isn't good. (laughs) What I knew about breast cancer, I was driving often. I'd go out with my friends in downtown Denver. It was pre-Uber days and, you know, a couple drinks. But if I got it stopped and I just knew, it was like, I'm, I'm, this is Russian roulette at this point. 
It's like the not yets, right? Like it's a lot of not yets. And we all do that. It's like, well, I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as them. And you even mentioned earlier about, you know, in my friend group, I was probably the, you know, there were many that drank more than me. So there was nothing about me that stood out. But what I knew was the physiology. I knew those neurotransmitters when I, when I quit and I knew my GABA was low because I had done a urine test in my functional medicine training. I had done the quiz. And so that's where when I quit, it wasn't really this like willpower kind of mental thing. It was, I know my blood sugar is low. I know my GAB is low. I know I've been drinking and I've just kind of been sweeping that under the rug. I've got to, you know, balance my physiology. And so that's what I would say to others too. Yes, you know, these, these practices and these nervous system regulation techniques, they're wonderful. And they're so important with the immune system, with the hormone system. But we also just need a good baseline with a doctor who will look at our hormones and, you know, look at blood sugar and thyroid and iron. And some doctors are great about that. Some doctors will poo-poo it and push women, you know, out of the office and say there's nothing yeah, to Yeah, find a different one. Yeah. But that keeps women drinking. And, you know, I'm, I'm also really passionate about that, too, because many clients over the years have said, I wish my doctor or therapist would have just said, you're drinking too much. When instead, they're just like, I'll just up your antidepressant a bit. You're just, you're worrying too much or, and, and that's, that's a problem. Yeah, that's a huge problem. And I have a feeling it's because they're drinking too. And if they look at somebody else's drinking very honestly and say, oh, you're drinking too much, then they have to look at theirs. And that's, as we've discussed, that's a scary thing, right? And because like, I mean, doctors aren't, you know, immune to alcohol and its effects. And like, everyone's just drinking a lot. That's the third missing piece. So the first missing piece is we just turned this blind eye to this gray area until about a decade ago. And then there was this tipping mm-hmm. point and all, you know, this whole movement has happened in the last decade. The second missing piece was not focusing on physiology. And that's where then I really stepped in and started lending my voice to this whole conversation seven years ago. And the third missing piece is exactly this, is that the practitioners are drinking in the gray area. And so to, yes. to look at that with their patients, it's too much of a mirror for themselves. And so we just keep turning a blind eye. But that's where my work is now is with, with you know, and I know some people's work is with big alcohol and marketing and, you know, that's a piece. But I, I really that's feel that, that the problem with this problem is and it happened to me. I, you know, I had a, I had a doctor wrote me a prescription for Xanax. I didn't fill it. I said, you know, I, I'm drinking, I'm not sleeping and I'm drinking red wine to try to sleep better. And she's like, here's a Xanax prescription. Oh, so it man, happens yeah. all the time. And, and I, I think she was quite a drinker herself, honestly. Yeah. And so that's the next piece here is that training and development, which I, which I do with practitioners because 80% of the one-on-one clients who came to me over the last seven years are healthcare practitioners. So I was doing wow. one on with therapists, social workers, nurses, doctors. 80%? Mm-hmm. Wow. It does go back to that whole do no harm thing too. And it's like, hey, hey, we got to zoom out and see what's going on with, yeah, with healthcare workers and why they're drinking. Like they're under too much stress. All of this stuff for them too, right? It's not just put the blame on them, but like what is the bigger picture? It makes sense. It's the compassion fatigue. It's being in the front lines. It's that moral fatigue, that vicarious trauma, the burnout. It makes sense. 
nurses notoriously over the years were known, you know, as, as smokers. Nicotine is connected with acetylcholine. It's the breath. So it's that you're slowing down and regulating the breath when you have, you know, do the inhale on the cigarette because the acetylcholine yeah. is low. And also then drinking is huge with practitioners. Um, it's high stress. It's high stakes with, you know, what they're doing with patients day in, day out. And then where's the discharge? Where's the valve to let that steam off? And so behind right. the scenes, and I hear it, you know, they're again, doctors, nurses, they're my one-on-one clients. And they say, I function really well. My colleagues don't know. I, you know, my husband says, I'm just worrying too much. And I've worked with anesthesiologists, I've worked with nurse practitioners, I've worked with social workers in hospice. It's a lot to hold, it's a lot to bear, and it's just where has been the training and the support to regulate the nervous system after being in an intense surgery, after, you know, in hospice care as the caretaker, and we just turned a blind eye. So that's my next hill that I'm climbing with my work. That's amazing because I think that that's, yeah, that's going to be huge. I mean, my goal is to normalize saying like, yes, like I have struggled with alcohol and kind of removing the shame from it and taking it back to just what alcohol is rather than I have a problem. And so just being able to normalize saying, yes, let's, let's excavate and let's figure out the role alcohol has played in our lives before we've lost more to it. And just because we haven't lost everything doesn't mean we haven't lost anything. And yeah, let's just normalize saying, oh yeah, I need help with this. And that's okay. I think people listening to this might have a little feeling like, okay, I think I might be a gray area drinker. What does that mean? What do I do? How do I know if I am? And I know you share some, you share five signs like that could kind of tip them off if they are a gray area drinker. What would you say to that? Sure. The number one characteristic is that gray area drinkers can and do stop drinking. So they have the capacity and ability to stop. Did you guys hear that? Because I this comes up a lot. I always hear this and I leaned on this too of like, obviously it's not a problem. Like I was pregnant three times and I didn't need alcohol. And I, even when I was breastfeeding, I didn't want it. So nothing to see here. Okay. This is a huge one. Yeah, it's huge. And it was me for for years. So capacity to stop drinking is really, really huge. And gray area drinkers will do this for years. They'll go back and forth. They'll stop. They'll say, I can't do this anymore. And they have the capacity. They don't need a medical detox. They might feel a little hungover, you know, that first morning, but they don't, they're not going to have a seizure or, you know, they're not far enough down that spectrum. But then what's really characteristic is weeks and months into it, they're like, I can be a social drinker. The whole forever question. This doesn't need to be forever. Very, very characteristic of gray area drinking. However, spoiler alert, I'm sorry to say, (laughs) working with hundreds and thousands of clients over the years, the cycle never changes. I lived through it. My clients lived through it. Once we've crossed that line of that back and forth, it's hard to ever completely go back. I've really never seen anyone go back. And then it's just that still small voice of that ricocheting between I need to quit and then, oh, just live a little, everything in moderation. And often people around gray area drinkers, so spouses, doctors, coworkers, good friends, they're like, you're just worrying too much. Like, you're not that bad. It's not like you're an alcoholic or anything. So those are, you know, very characteristic of that internal 
back and forth, the stopping, the restarting, and the ability to stop. So you don't want to get to a point where you just keep drinking so much that you can't stop. Like, you know, people say I function. I'm like, that's a good thing. Like getting to the point where you don't function, you don't want that to be the goal. Right. Like, why are we waiting for that? Like, are you waiting to lose more? Yeah, that's why I always say you deserve a softer place to land. You deserve way better than rock bottom. Totally. And the bar always moves on that, pun intended. (laughs) Mm. There's always going to be somebody worse. And then I just, I direct people back to remembering there is no safer, healthy, recommended intake level of alcohol. And that's from the Lancet Medical Journal 2018. Other countries agree, the UK, they've all come out, Canada now, along with the US. Yes. That there just is no safe intake level. And for women, once you're over seven drinks in a seven-day period, that is heavy drinking. So we need to get rid of this notion that we just have to be swimming in like a vat of wine for it to be. Yeah, or like drinking in the morning or, yeah, hiding or, yeah. It doesn't take much at all to be a heavy drinker. So one drink a day is moderate drinking. Wow. And so, okay, so if you are a gray area drinker, if they're listening to this and they say, okay, I think I am. I see myself in this. I've I've fought it for a long time. And now I think that I, yep, I think I am. Now what? Well, you're doing a huge benefit always to your brain and your body to not be putting alcohol in it, whether it's for a day, a week, a couple months. <laughs> so any period that you're going without alcohol is beneficial. It doesn't have to be forever. We don't have to like, you know, figure that whole thing out. But not putting your alcohol in your body for today and then tomorrow and then the next day is huge, huge, huge physiological benefits for your hormone system, for your nervous system, your immune system. And again, it doesn't have to be, you're not signing on a dotted line, like you're not signing your life away and making this forever commitment. But just notice what happens for a couple days, a couple weeks when you don't drink and then knowing that there's support. So I train coaches, I do coach individuals myself who are trained in supporting, replenishing, repairing, resourcing your nervous system and customizing that, like really hearing your story, seeing where there might be those deficiencies, starting to add things in once alcohol has come out in a really practical, doable way. And then accountability, because how we rewire and build new neuroplasticity is repetition. So the way that I coach and train my coaches to coach is they have a huge library of nervous system, somatic, functional nutrient resources. And then they are there with the client walking side by side for that accountability, not like as a parent, not as a pass fail authority figure, but to really start to rewire and groove new pathways by repeating things that are working. And that's where then the the coaching gets those basics in and sets people up for success as they're, you know, maybe they're working with a therapist or in a recovery community or working with their doctor, but but the daily foundational basics, understanding the nervous system, when you take alcohol out, the coaching complements and is very niched and specific with any, any other communities or practitioners that, that clients are working with. I love this so much. It's not, you guys, I cannot stress enough that sobriety is not about the absence of alcohol. My sobriety, like alcohol has no place in my sobriety. I don't look at my life as alcohol leaving gaps behind. And all of these things are the, like, 
life-giving things, practical tips, things that you can do that are going to fill the gaps that alcohol leaves behind. And not only that, but actually nourish you and rewire your brain and physiologically make everything whole and better. And I mean, that's just what it's all about. And I'm so glad that there are people like you who do this and who understand it because my brain does not work this way. It is funny that I didn't know like what I was doing in early sobriety, but when I look at your Nourish acronym, I'm like, oh, those are the things that I kind of just stumbled my way through and figured out that make me feel better and that I do. But I like that you don't have to stumble your way through it like I did. Like you don't have to take a year to figure it out. There are people like you and your coaches that can guide you along that process. Yeah. And so, you know, paying attention to those gaps and then innately what we're drawn to, people often say this, they're like, oh, I was already just kind of instinctively doing that, but I never paid attention to it. The body's right. really smart. The psyche really knows. And even mm. in the get what you're saying about like these gaps, so you take alcohol out and there really gets a gap. That's what we want to talk about. We don't want to suppress that or try to be like, oh, just buck up. And because there's information. White knuckle. Right. Yes. There's information in that of it's completely legit and understandable that there, you know, if, the, if we're desiring something, if we're craving something, it's not about trying to push it in a corner and be like, oh, I should be stronger. It's like, no, 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 no. This is really information about how we can actually customize a resource that's actually going to work. And that's been the problem of we've been conditioned to be like, I should be stronger. I should just get through this. The shoulds. Now there's yeah. this ga gap, as you say, of alcohol. And it's like, that's exactly what we work with in the coaching, that it's not this formula. It's not this like ABC, everybody like, I don't want to do that. I don't want, I don't want somebody to like, I don't want to do something just to do something. I'm, I'm too busy, right? but I want something that's actually like, what's, what's my body needing right now? And then what's the remedy for that? And so that's the work. It's like we're kind of, you know, body whispers. <laughs> yes, totally. I love it. And speaking like on that note, it's like when someone, I get messages like this and I see in our Facebook group all the time, people post, you know, like, oh, I was sober for 40 days and I drank again and I hate myself. And I'm like, there is gold there. There is gold there. If you figure out what you were feeling, why you drank, what you needed, and then dig into that and what will help instead, it's just like removing the shame and the shoulds. Get rid of the shame and the shoulds. And then just figure out what your body needs. Well, and you know, what I would say to that and do say is, first of all, the 40 days, hallelujah. That's amazing. Like, right? I am so grateful that I took over. It was like a decade, honestly, of stopping and restarting. I stopped for 30 days and I'd stop for a couple months. And when all that adds up, it was probably like three years within a 10 year period that I didn't drink. And I am so glad that I didn't drink straight through for 10 years and that I had those breaks. Oh, yeah. So, so right there, it's like 40 days. Like what I just said about any time that you're not putting alcohol in your brain or body, that's such a positive. And beyond that, like there's nothing to beat yourself up with. It was 40 days of alcohol not in your brain or body. Totally. And I think someone commented, and I remember this very clearly, and she was like, you chose yourself and you chose to nourish your body and your mind for 40 out of the last 41 days. Like in no way is that ever a failure. It's huge. It's what that does. Again, the body changes so quickly. Like our gut lining will turn over in three days. 
our body's totally regenerating and turning over. So 40 days, so much happens. And that's not lost. Like that has been banked. This is the capacity and ability to stop. This is what I want to see in a potential client versus somebody who's just been drinking straight through. That may not necessarily be a gray area drinking client. They may be farther down the spectrum. So the capacity and ability to stop is gray area drinking. You've given your body and brain that benefit. Now the missing pieces are just some customized support and, and resources of people who are, have really been trained in what is a really supporting now the nervous system. And, and that's a specific training. Not every coach has that. And that's just the, um, you know, that we're out there. This is where you really have to research your coaches too, you guys. I, You know that anyone can just slap on the label coach in their Instagram bio, but this is, and we're going to link everything. We'll link all of your resources and everything in the show notes so that if you guys think, if you're listening to this conversation and you're like, yeah, I think I'm a great area drinker. First of all, no, you are not alone. You're actually probably in the majority of drinker. You don't have to be silent about it. There is no shame and there is so much help. So can you tell everybody where to find you? And if they want to learn more about all of this, where should they go? Of course. So grayareadrinkers.com is my website. I do a little coaching, but mostly my I train coaches and they they do the coaching. And all of my coaches are certified or licensed therapists, social workers, health coaches, nutritionists. So they have a foundational licensing before they even come into my coach training. They are former gray or drinkers themselves. And then they have this specialized niche training with me. So oh, they're the best of the best. So you can find all that on my website. I also have a 30 day just DIY sober choice program that takes you, you know, I guide people through videos that are short, like four to nine minutes about resources for sugar cravings or, you know, the nutrients and that kind of thing. Wait a second. That's me. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to sign up. <laughs> so that's my sober choice. It's available for instant download. You get access to everything immediately and you have ongoing lifetime access. And then I also have a sober AF bundle about all different things, weight loss, cravings, anxiety, audio trainings on, on all those things. So grayareadrinkers.com. Okay. And we will make sure to link all of that in the show notes. And you guys watch her TED Talk. It's incredible. I'm going to share this all over the place because I think I don't know this part of it. I know kind of the, you know, the mental aspects and the anecdotal part and the stages of change and all of that stuff. But this piece is just, it's essential. Thank you so much. I love, I love the work you do and you're just an inspiration. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Sober Mom Life. If you loved it, please rate and review it wherever you listen. Five stars is amazing. Also, follow me on Instagram at The Sober Mom Life. Okay, I'll see you next week. I'm going to go reheat my coffee. Bye. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 
drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.